Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Nothing is ever easy. That quote pretty much sums up Terry Goodkind's Sword of Truth series. In the fantasy series, Goodkind lists out several wizard's rules that are used to illustrate points and train characters in the books. Each one has a different but related message about life. In this special April 1st episode, we're going to look at each of the wizard's rules. Don't worry, we'll avoid spoilers as much as possible and talk about how that rule can be applied to your life and or your development career. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, things are kind of starting to get back to normal after the tornado. It's been a slow crawl, I think, back to things being normal. The kids were out of school most of last week and, you know, they went back yesterday. It's just kind of strange still here now. And at the same time, coronavirus has started kind of coming into Nashville and it's also going in close to where the office is, you know, like I work remotely for a company and they've already canceled. We're all supposed to go up there and, and do some business travel up there and they've already canceled the flights for all the people that are flying, but I'm driving. So I'm not sure what's happening yet. So it's just been kind of a weird, you know, kind of surreal week or so. It's, I'll be glad when things kind of get normal again. So how about you? Man, I, uh, I feel you on the surreal. I am exhausted. I was up last night working on an episode, original idea for this episode, actually not the original idea for this episode. The original idea for the April 1st episode uh, involved getting a celebrity on, but uh, wasn't able to make that happen. I don't want to say who in case we're able to do that in a future year. But uh, I was working on an episode and uh, the idea for this one hit me. And as I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, that would be so much fun just to sit and talk to Will about the wizard's rules in an episode and how they apply to life and development. It's like, but it had to be an April 1st episode. Oh, wait, I'm writing an April 1st episode. <laughs> so at midnight last night, I like I was over halfway through writing that episode. I stopped and started on the this one, stayed up till about 2 a.m. and finished it up this afternoon after work before we started recording. So it's my first time writing an April 1st episode. Will's written all the others. So we'll see how this goes. It should be should be a lot of fun. I'm expecting a, a good episode out of it. Yeah. And if uh, y'all don't know what we're doing, we actually release a special episode every April 1st mm. for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but uh, yeah. we probably should have mentioned that. Yeah. Normally I... I Thinking back on it, normally I mentioned that in the teaser. I didn't even think about it just because it's like, this is the fifth one we've done. I think so, yeah. Yeah, fourth or fifth one we've done. So it's kind of become a, a thing now. Uh, so going back to what's going on with my life, uh, I'm going to be speaking to the STEM club that Amanda runs this Friday. I'm going to talk to them about programming. The plan is to give a slight overview of sort of programming history, then show them the code combat games. That, uh, that you and Ben showed me back that got me interested in coding again. And then uh, some Scratch code. We'll do a group coding challenge with Scratch. And if there's time, I'll show them some working code, like real production code that I've done, not at my job, but just on the side and stuff, that uh, they can kind of see how what they're learning actually applies to the real world. Speaking of coronavirus earlier, We Rocket or We Rock IT, I don't know exactly how it's pronounced, uh, conference has been postponed due to coronavirus. The venue and their biggest sponsor has canceled all public events because of it. So Amanda and I are still going down to Huntsville for a mini vacation um, since we already have the Airbnb and time off work. Uh, it's just going to be a fun little trip. I'm not going to stay the whole time, but uh, just going to take a little trip down there, have some fun, a couple days off work, a little relaxing trip. Speaking of fun trips out of town, uh, got a one-off for book club. 
So I couldn't help myself, given that we're talking about Terry Goodkind's sort of true series. I just had to give the first book as our book club. This is uh, Wizard's First Rule. Uh, Will gave me this book back in college when I told him I didn't enjoy most fantasy novels. I tend to prefer science fiction over fantasy. This is the first book in the series, and it got me hooked. While most fantasy that I had read consisted of like an elaborately created world with an adventure tacked on just to show off the world and the creatures in it, uh, Goodkind writes a story about people and personal growth that just happens to be set in a fantasy world. You know, he has that elaborate world, imagery, and interesting creatures, but that's not the focus of his writing. Now, these books are kind of dark. The characters go through a lot. Uh, the series, though, has an overall positive message. Goodkind is an objectivist, and we'll get into that a bit more in the, uh, in the episode. And you can definitely tell those leanings in his earlier books. Uh, the latter books in the series are outright Randian. These took a large portion of my leisure reading back in college. Uh, book seven came out while we were in school and book eight right after we graduated. So uh, I had to catch up to be ready for the release of book seven. You remember that? I was like, I think I went through books one through six in about four months. Yeah. And they're not small books. Just no, like they're all not. I did was sit and read. <laughs> yeah. So I'll have a link to the first book in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? Well, we got an email from Vanessa saying, Hey guys, I enjoyed the talk with Saran about creating a community for coders. BJ, good luck at Codeland Conference. Keep up the good work you guys have been doing with this podcast. All the best. Vanessa C. Vanessa, thanks so much. Saran is an awesome person. Someone we are both glad to call friend. I was absolutely amazed by the Codeland Conference. It was great. I'm planning on submitting again this year. I need to do that soon because by the time this episode comes out, the CFP will be closed. I think it closes March 25th. So I need to jump on that. I've got some talk ideas that I want to do. Send us an email to waterbottle at completedeveloperpodcast.com because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own Complete Developer Water Bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. And you know what? Last week, I promised that I would post some stuff from the conference on Insta. I will post some stuff on the Complete Developer Instagram from our trip down to Huntsville just so that you guys can can see some of the cool stuff down there. There's several conferences that uh, Will and I go to. It's only about an hour and a half, two hours away from us. An hour and a half for me, about two hours for him. Yep. So, Or you guys can join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. We just had two people join the last day. Yeah, uh, saw that. That was cool, yeah. Your advertisement could be here. If you like the show and would like to advertise on here, send us an email to adverts at completedeveloperpodcast.com. We have short-term, long-term, and other sponsorship opportunities. Reach out to us and let us help you reach the people who you are serving. The Sword of Truth is a series of high fantasy adventure novels by Terry Goodkind. It follows the lives of wizards, sorceresses, and other magic and non-magic people as they battle for their very existence against several enemies. After the series, Goodkind wrote several other books taking place in the same fantasy world. One smaller series of books follows the main characters after the events of the main books. In the series and beyond it, Goodkind lists out several wizard's rules. These are guidelines and rules to live by for the characters, especially the wizards in the series. While they claim to be secretive, the characters in the series seem to dispense them rather freely, giving one per book in the main Sword of Truth series. The first 11 rules are numbered and associated with a book in the main Sword of Truth series. The final three are found in the books written after that series and are not given a specific number associated with the rule. In this episode, we're going to go through each of the rules talking about what it states and how it can be applied to life as a developer. Some are more applicable to life while others can be applied to coding principles. So the very first rule, the wizard's first rule, and uh, 
I think Will telling me about this is what got me interested in the book itself. And you know, like I, I was like, all right, I'll I'll give it a try. Is people are stupid. <laughs> and we're all people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the quote from the book, and I don't have this for every single one, some of them are just the exact rule, but uh, the quote from the book is people are stupid. They can be made to believe any lie because either they want to believe it's true or because they are afraid it's true. Yeah. And before you think that this is an overly cynical approach, uh, go down to Costco and get yourself some toilet paper. Um, Because you're going to see this one right there. Um, People will believe things because they want them to be true. Uh, A desire for a lie to be true tends to give it a sense of validation. and you can really easily start to believe things that are not true because you want them to be true. Mm -hmm. Just because you want something to be a certain way doesn't mean that it will be that way. You know, I, uh, I broke this rule back uh, when I was going through my divorce. Yep. I remember that. I remember that very conversation. Yeah. Um, I did. I, I wanted, certain things to be true that were not. And I allowed myself to believe them. And what ended up happening is I was hurt even worse because of that. Yeah. You know, lies create pain. Mm -hmm. That's just part of life. The other, you know, side of it is that people will believe things to be true because they're afraid of it or they're afraid that it's true. Mm-hmm. So if you are afraid of a particular lie, you're kind of giving validation to that concept. Mm-hmm. Being afraid that something might be true means that you admit the possibility of it being true. You have to objectively look at the facts and not be ruled by your fears. Right. And you know, by the way, this stuff describes tactics that are used in sales all the time. And by the way, and this isn't just sales like in selling, it's just convincing people of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like the the Jones effect plays on the fear of missing out or FOMO or not having what your neighbors have. And you can just look at any advertising really to see this in play on people's desires. Yeah. You know, like drink this beer and beautiful women will love you and you will look amazing and be at the beach all the time. Right. And I mean... <laughs> And the other side of that is is what a certain beer company is having trouble with right now as far as branding. <laughs> Thanks to somebody, unfortunately, naming a virus the same thing. Um, you know, this, this can be used for manipulation or for freedom. In the books, this rule is shown to be used as a way to manipulate people, but that's not always the case. Um, it can also be used as a self-assessment tool to keep the characters from falling prey to a lie. And the intention here is to examine yourself and to free yourself of biases based on desire or on fear because neither of those is getting you where you need to be. Mm -hmm. The next rule or the second rule is the greatest harm can result from the best intentions. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes doing what seems right at the time actually causes more harm than good. And you'll see this plenty in any software development career that you choose to undertake. Mm. Uh, The full effects of an action may be unknown or unclear to you. There will likely not be any obvious signs that what you're doing could cause harm. You know, we see this stuff with about half the coding decisions that are made. You have to go back (laughs) and you have to rework it. Yeah. Because the good design that you started with has problems. Yeah. You may not see the harm at first because you're still reaping the benefits of you know what you did or not looking at it right the harm may be something much further down the line it may be that oh hey we got we got this working we got it out quickly we're making money now awesome but you're not thinking about maintenance and scalability and what happens when you need to add features things like that or when somebody adds a feature to something you built And they don't realize the design decisions you made. One of the most Mm -hmm. expensive mistakes that occurred downstream of me in my career was somebody using some code that I wrote for, you know, scheduling jobs. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. supposed to have a lot of load on it. And they put a crap ton of load on it. 
because they didn't realize that I made that decision. And yeah, it broke stuff all over the place. Yeah. Um, it was a decision made with the intent of, hey, this is clean. This is nice code. This will make this particular thing eloquent. And it was good intentions, but it made the results so much worse, you know, as a result of that. Mm-hmm. So to avoid causing harm, you have to know or at least be conscientious of the effects and long-term outcomes of your actions. Yeah. <laughs> you know how you learn that though. <laughs> yeah. You mostly <laughs> learn that by screwing up. Um, yeah. You know, making mistakes is the fastest way to learn. Of course, it also means that when this occurs, you have to avoid falling victim to the first rule, right? So mm-hmm. you have to avoid wanting something to be true or being afraid that it's true just so that you can evaluate the mistakes and get the learnings from it that are the correct ones. Mm -hmm. The key here is to have forethought about what you're doing. Now, you're not going to be able to foresee every situation, but go into things with the intent of, all right, what are the outcomes? What are the potential problems, the potential issues that could come up if someone messes with this, if someone does something Uh, add something to it. Yeah. Like if you're making changes to existing or legacy code, you have to start thinking about things like second order effects. You know, you can't, it's like the Chesterton's fence thing, right? Like there's a certain mindset of people that will go through the woods and they'll see a fence and they'll go, that fence shouldn't be there. I'll cut it out. It's like, you don't know what that fence is holding in. Mm -hmm. You know, until all of a sudden a herd of cows comes over the hill and there's no fence and you're right by the highway. You really have to think a lot more carefully about what's downstream of you because if you don't and you're just thinking about first order things, you're probably going to miss a lot of what can go wrong. It also affects the decisions you make when you're initially writing code or designing a system. Like Will talked about earlier with, he built something for a very specific purpose, did not intend for it to be used in any other way. Right. Didn't even intend for it to be used all that long necessarily. Yeah. Um, And it, you know, unfortunately I got downsized and that knowledge was lost. Mm -hmm. The choices you make tend to have repercussions down the line, either positive or negative and even little bitty choices. Yeah. It's amazing how far your life will deviate based off of very small things that you've done. Hasty designs or quickly written code to get a task done or a product out the door can cause more work than just taking the time the first time. Like it, it's more effort to go back and fix something. Oh, the the worst I'll tell you that I've seen has been where something was done improperly because it was either I it was either because they were trying to get it done quickly or because they just didn't know any better. Because it's pretty old. Or both. Yeah, probably a little bit of both, honestly. I mean but uh, and then the business gets used to doing things with the busted system. Yep. And so when you go back and you're you're fixing things and you or you're rebuilding it and you're like, oh, hey, this is this isn't proper. And you take that out. Suddenly they have entire business processes they can no longer do. Because they built their process around something that was broken. Right. So, for instance, if you hit records of a certain type and you get a null reference exception, they may have logic that says, okay, if it throws a null ref, it doesn't have this other thing. And so go create it. And when the null ref goes away, all of a sudden that workflow is broken. Yeah. Any bug left alone long enough becomes a feature to somebody. <laughs> uh, you just, I, have, I have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. That is a real thing. I mean, the term for this is technical debt, um, but it's, yeah, technical debt. We, you know, we, we talked about why that term is also kind of loaded. Um, <laughs> yeah. But regardless, true. it skyrockets if you don't pay attention to this rule. So the next rule is passion rules reason. This is a warning not to let yourself be ruled by your desires. Um, if you look at like a little kid, like a toddler, They are ruled by their desires. You know, I want ice cream. Oh, I want to throw this fork at the bald man's head. That's oddly specific. (laughs) (laughs) Have you you ever looked at some of the um, parenting memes? Like, you know, 
the kid crying because I won't let him lick the toilet seat. Yeah. Crying because I gave him the wrong Cheeto. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's children. You know, that's why some people don't want to have children. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and adults are supposed to be able to rule and control their desires in general. <laughs> yes. Now, we all slip on this when it's some, you know, usually with some area or other, right? There's there's a mm-hmm. reason that we have some of the health things in this country that we have, that we have some of the financial things that we have, that people are stressed out, overworked, you know, in bad relationships, et cetera. So, you know, that's yeah. that's the way it is. But if you allow yourself to be subjugated by your desires, it makes you extremely easy to manipulate. Someone who sees that you cannot control yourself in a situation may use it to their advantage. Yeah. You know, if you always get riled up about a certain topic, they might bring it up in front of managers or higher ups just to make you look bad. Yeah. There are unscrupulous people out there who will do this. Being ruled by your desires allows you to be derailed when you're trying to accomplish something if your passions get in the way. Yeah. It's remarkably disturbing how many small business owners I've dealt with that have been like that, where they want to build a business that gets them attention and they need that attention and that validation so much that they won't make a business that gets them money. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, you can you can make software that runs junkyards. Like that literally is an underserved niche. It's boring, but that's a thing. And yeah. then you got these people that are like, oh, I'm going to write a social network for orangutans or something. <laughs> and uh, because this one is cool and Silicon Valley will like me, but the other one, there's junkyards everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so that that's a direction I did not think about going with this one when I wrote it. I thought more the best way to kill an idea is to put it in a committee with a bunch of passionate people. Oh yeah. They will bike shed it to death. Yes. Um Yeah, like <laughs> you, you really you know, honestly the the best way to get an idea accomplished and to execute it is to get somebody who is maybe a little bit excited, but not over the top, right? Like where they have Mm -hmm. enough motivation to get it done and to get the result, not to get a different result than what you're aiming at. This also has a strong impact on interpersonal relationships. You know, you may get angry in a meeting, but don't let your passion overtake your reason. Yeah, doing this does not help your argument at all. It's more likely to hurt it even if you're correct. And by the way, this applies even if you're in management, even if you're the owner of the company. I've worked with people that could not go 10 minutes in a meeting without dropping an F-bomb. Yeah. And people look at that and just go, you know, this guy's a goober. Because you're coming off as overly emotional. It, It will not help you. Another thing, too, is that when you're ruled by your passion, you won't be able to focus on work if you're having trouble outside of work, like with a relationship or financially or anything else, because you'll be so focused on the issue or that passion that you're not able to do your job. Right. And it goes the other way too. Mm -hmm. If you're so focused on problems at work, you know, you're going to be a jerk at home. Yeah. Yeah. Use your passion to your advantage, right? Like it is a tool provided that it is pointed in the right direction. It's a weapon when it's pointed at you. Yes. Use the frustration of a difficult problem to galvanize you to find a solution. I can tell you that having written two books last year, that happened a lot. (laughs) You know, something that Will and I both do is if we get riled up about a topic, we'll use that anger to focus and research on that topic to do you know, be better able to debate and prove our point. Yeah. And like, at the very least, we did an episode. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Not not argue about it, but like debate because we both kind of enjoy that back and forth. I have a couple of friends at work that are really like, they enjoy that too. And you can tell when it's time to do that when it's not because we've known each other for a little while. But, you know, it's like they enjoy that back and forth when it's not heated, but it's fun. Yeah. And when it starts getting too heated, then it's not useful anymore. Yeah. I have one 
one coworker will go out to lunch occasionally and he'll bring up like controversial topics, not because he's being bad or anything, but because he knows I like to discuss them too. And we sometimes have differing opinions and we'll back and forth on it, but it's never heated. Sometimes it ends with, huh, I need to do more research on that. Yeah. So that's the way to use your passions. Yeah. So the fourth rule is there is magic in forgiveness. And a quote from Faith of the Fallen, which is the fourth book, there is magic in sincere forgiveness, in the forgiveness you give, but more so in the forgiveness you receive. And before we get into this, I want you guys to, you know, I know there's some people out there that are going magic. Replace the word magic with the word healing. These being fantasy novels, magic is real, tangible thing in them, uh, except for book seven, but you have to read it to understand why that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness is, in a way, a, you know, is part of letting go of past pain and actually healing up from it. Um, the forgiveness you give allows healing both for you and for the person you forgive. And I mean, that's something I think you really, that really sank into you during the whole mm -hmm. divorce thing. Yeah. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. It's moving on and letting go of the past. Uh, that doesn't mean letting abusive or harmful people stay in your life or back into your life. You know, you can forgive someone and never see them again. Yeah. And honestly, if you've forgiven them for something bad enough, that's probably the best way to go. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot more healing in receiving forgiveness than giving it. You know, and this includes forgiveness of yourself in, yeah. in a lot of cases. Uh, one of the steps in addiction recovery is to seek forgiveness from those you've wronged. You know, people that have been through a 12 step program, you know, kind of know how that jam works, right? Like you got to mm -hmm. go try to fix it. Yeah, this is one of the things that really stuck out to me back when I was an addictions counselor working at the psychiatric hospital was like, I, until I had been through more stuff in life, it didn't make a lot of sense for me. I'm like, I, I understood the forgiving, but the like power in being forgiven just wasn't like the healing that, that takes place when you're forgiven or when you at least make that effort to ask. Seeking forgiveness takes a lot of humility. Yeah, and it also shows a willingness to change. Yeah. In general, like if you're legitimately seeking forgiveness, whereas, you know, if you're just seeking a reprieve from consequences, that's a whole different thing. Just like you don't have to let those you forgive back into your life, those who forgive you do not have to let you back into their lives either. Yeah. This is just a thing of the wound is healed. Mm -hmm. And that's as far as it goes. No. And... You know what? Thinking about it now, I think we should do an episode on forgiveness. That would be a good one. Yeah. So uh, y'all heard it here first. It's going on the Kanban right now. All right. So the next rule, the fifth rule, is mind what people do, not what they say. Deeds will betray a lie. A person may say one thing, but do something entirely different. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is widespread too, right? Like any... Any software development organization you've ever worked in, there'll be a manager who says, we really prioritize code quality, and then they rush stuff to get out the door at the last minute. They do yeah. not prioritize code quality. You know, it's interesting. This is the rule that made me think that doing the rules would be a fun episode. I was working on, like I said, I was working on a different episode when I thought, hey, this kind of reminds me of the wizard's fifth rule. Yes, I do have them all memorized. I'm a nerd. <laughs> but uh yeah i was i was thinking about that when writing that episode i was like man that'd be really cool to do an episode on that we should do that on an april 1st episode then i realized i was writing an april 1st episode and i could just do that <laughs> there you go <laughs> yeah a little side train there but um uh, you see this in politics all the time no matter your view or party well i think can, can i add something there you see this in politics from the other party and you don't see it from yours. Mm. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> well, no, not just not just that. There you see it from yours. Yeah. Too. It's not as like, outrageous. <laughs> it, it doesn't it doesn't appear to be as outrageous, but no, like 
people get frustrated at their own party members. They vote for them for one thing and then they don't do it. You know, a politician will promise all sorts of things on the campaign trail. And then once they're elected, do whatever they want. Yeah. That's why you have to look at their past record to see where they stand on issues. And that's why you have so many career politicians is because new people coming in. I mean, it's hard to break into because people don't know what you're actually going to do when you get elected. Yeah. And they'd rather take the, uh, the problem that they know about yeah. as opposed to one that they don't. Mm-hmm. You can really tell a lot about a person's intentions based on their actions. In a way, this relates back to the second rule about bad results from good intentions. Yeah. Although this one is more of an intentional act of deception instead of the previous one, which is more like, oops. A person may state good intentions, but their actions don't match those intentions. Like, and that's on purpose. Right. And this can be applied to coworkers and managers. Uh, You may have someone who's always promising to get things done, but their history says otherwise. Like I've worked for managers who are like, oh yeah, we're going to fix this problem. You know, we're going to correct this. We're going to do this next thing. And two or three years later, they're still saying it and they haven't Mm -hmm. started. They've done nothing to go in that direction. Um, You'll see it all the time because it's a way of making you just play along when there's something bad wrong. What you have to do is look for patterns of behavior to understand and somewhat predict how a person will act. Right. Of course, the other side of that is people do change and try to improve themselves. So you do have to know that it may change. I'll give an example. You used to be late all the time (laughs) to stuff. And I planned for you to be late and you started working on that. And there was a point there that came when you actually showed up on time one day and it completely screwed me up. Yeah. Because it's like, dude, you're here on time. Like I got here early thinking you wouldn't get here and we're just going to hang out for 30 minutes because oops. (laughs) Uh, So another corollary to this is that comments always lie. People intend to do stuff and they write a comment about it, but that comment is never tested against reality Mm -hmm. until you come along and read it and go, Hey, this is crap. You have to look at what the code actually does. This is why I get so irritated at people that are like, Oh, just comment all the things and that'll fix all your problems. No, it won't. Now there's lies mixed in with the execution path. Well, what happens is they initially are the intent is good. Like they initially tell the truth, but over time they become lies. Yeah. Same with method names and variable names. They can lie as well, especially if you put types in there. It's one of the great things about modern IDEs is you don't have to put like that, that design pattern of putting the type in the name. Oh, Hungarian notation. Yes, yes, is no longer necessary because you can just like hover over it and see what type it is. Yeah, I always thought it was uh, interesting how they called it Hungarian notation because Hungarian is widely known to be one of the hardest languages to learn on the planet. Hmm. (laughs) It's like, why would you? Okay, you know what? (laughs) Never mind. It makes complete (laughs) sense. (laughs) So, The next rule, the sixth rule, is the only sovereign you can allow to rule you is reason. Yeah. The first law of reason is that what exists, exists. Uh, What is, is. Um, And I I know that sounds tautological, but knowledge is built from this foundational principle. Uh, Start with what you know. in, In other words, what is, what exists, and build upon that to actually grow your knowledge. Yeah. Reason is how we understand the world around us. There are two major types of reasoning, inductive and deductive. Deductive reasoning is the process of starting with a known premise and reaching a logical conclusion. It follows sort of a top-down approach where premises, which are true, are put through logic that leads to a true conclusion. It's a way of taking a general truth and deriving a specific conclusion from it. Properly using deductive reasoning, you can be very certain of the conclusion you reach. On the other hand, inductive reasoning starts with premises which supply some evidence towards a conclusion. It follows more of a bottom-up approach by looking at specific cases and drawing the most probable generalized conclusion. 
It takes the specific and then generalizes it. Inductive reasoning provides a probable conclusion based on the evidence in the premises. The other rules, the way that Goodkind designed this, are built around this one rule. It's sort of the linchpin, so to speak. Or I think in the book he calls it the the hub that the other rules rotate around. Reasoning and thinking are a choice you have to consciously make. This is the simplest, but the hardest of the rules to follow. Yeah, it's really easy to allow yourself to fall victim to desires and wishes not based in fact or reason. I actually worked with a guy that would always talk about code stuff. And he was like, I feel like, and he was always saying he feels. And it actually eroded his credibility with the other engineers because it's like, I want you to, to know something and be able to prove it, not feel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're talking about like chiropractic care or medicine where you have to like palpate saying, I, hey, I, I feel this nodule here. I feel, you know, that's yeah. different. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you're, you're using feel as a sense, not feel as a, this is just completely subjective. Yeah, that's true. So you may be thinking to yourself, like I did when I first went through the series, Yes, I've gone through it multiple times. That this stands in contradiction to the third rule, passion rules reason. So I actually got to meet Terry Goodkind at a book signing and asked him about that. And I think it was because I asked him about that. He uh, he personalized several of my books. He was only like, they said they'd only do one, but he did multiple. It was a really good conversation. But when I asked him about, hey, you know, how come rule three, passion rules reason, and then you say, let reason be your only sovereign? It's like, aren't you saying that passion is going to rule you? And he said, rule three is a warning that you need to not let passion rule you. Rule six is the solution to avoiding that. Passion rules reason is a warning that if not kept in constant check, your passion will overrule your reason. And rule six is the counter to that warning and sort of how to avoid allowing passion to rule your life. Yeah, and this stuff, you know, really has a lot of Ayn Rand in it. It emphasizes one of the main tenets of objectivism, just in general. You follow this rule so that you don't should all over yourself. And I've actually popularized that particular phrase in several places I've worked. You just got to avoid the trap of focusing on what your code should do instead of what it actually does. Mm-hmm. Also, don't discount another person's experience with an app or a feature that you're building, especially QA testers. Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> you have to, like, just going back to the rule, you have to start with what exists. So, you know, if they find, if they find a bug and you're like, well, that's not what it, that's not what it does. Have you have them send you steps to replicate the issue? If it can't be replicated on your machine, that doesn't mean it's not happening. That doesn't prove it's not happening. All that means is you have some setting on your machine that's different than the environment. Or they don't uh, have the code. <laughs> yeah, or they don't have the code. Like There could be a lot of different things. So if that happens, what I like to do is I like to get on a call with and I'm like, all right, hey, screen share and show me this happening. I believe that it's happening. And sometimes just telling them, I found sometimes just telling a person, hey, you're not crazy. I believe what you're going through is happening. Show it to me so I can help you figure out what's going on. Right. And the whole it works on my machine thing, that is not helpful or useful unless it's followed up with a discussion about the differences in environments. It's effectively the just world fallacy for software yeah. developers. Yes. I mean, if you follow that up with, well, it works on my machine, let's find out what's different. Like, why is it working here and not there? Because I've, I've had that conversation with some of our operations people. I'm like, well, that's weird. It's working on my machine. And what, what we ended up finding out is it was a permissions issue yeah. on the server. And like, it's like, it's stuff like that. If you go at it with the attitude of solving the problem, and that's the thing, you go at it with the, all right, we're going to, 
reason this out. We're going to look at this logically and figure out the problem. Here's the evidence we have. It works on my machine. Don't get passionate about that. Don't get stuck on, well, it works on my machine. It should work everywhere. That doesn't help. (laughs) (laughs) But we both know people who are like that. Yeah, we get uh, software shipped to us on the regular from Redmond. It's like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, they killed my Bluetooth on both of my machines now. Wow. Um, Bluetooth does not work on my laptop or my desktop. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the next rule is life is the future, not the past. The past does have a place in our lives. And we learn from past experiences to try to figure out how to behave in the future, right? Like, that's essentially data for a machine learning model. Mm -hmm. uh, It can be a place. Yeah. It can be a place of comfort, uh, especially looking back on at happy memories, things like that. You know, it's interesting. We were just talking in one of the small groups I'm in at church about the difference between melancholy and depression. Yeah. And um, how melancholy is sort of like finding joy and sadness. And I was talking to them about uh, one of the ladies there, her son is uh, on the tech team with me. And I was like, yeah, I was like, he's growing his hair out. And with his beard and his hair, he looks so much like a taller, healthier version of my friend Jason. Like huh. just his face and his facial expressions are very similar. Personality is not that different either, which is kind of weird. <laughs> but um, so I was telling her, I was like, we were, we were having this conversation and like, I, I just like, it hit me right then. And like this sort of like melancholy came over me where I was like, I was sad because I miss my friend a lot. But also I was happy because it brought back all these happy memories of my friend. Yeah. You know? And so it's like, if you, if I were to dwell in the past, I would have been sad for not having my friend and missing him. I would not have been able to go, you know what? This is really nice that it reminds me of all the happy times we had together. Another thing that the past can do is it can be a galvanizing force to move forward towards a better tomorrow. Living in the past embraces things that are dead or lost. Um, you know, every day we need to be creating the next phase of our life, right? Like that's what you're here for. You do have to avoid a blind devotion to the things of the past. Um, instead, you use the past to help you reason about your future. This is something that happened, um, by the way, during the Renaissance in Italy, right? They looked around and they saw these ruined buildings, all the Roman architecture and all this stuff. And they're like, mm-hmm. we used to do this. We used to have, we used to be able to get water to our village with an aqueduct and we can't now. And they started mm-hmm. getting their stuff together. That's part of the reason yeah. Italy bloomed like it did. That and a whole bunch of trade and you know a bunch of other things. But that attitude shift changed the world. Yeah. So one way you can look at this is to replace the word life with career. So your career is the future, not the past. Right. Unless you make a career in supporting or updating legacy systems. Um, But even then your career is really still in the future of that legacy code or system, not what it did, you know, five, 10 or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now this doesn't mean to you know, be on the bleeding edge of every trend that comes out. You want to look to the past for trends that help you navigate the future. This is something I've seen a lot at companies I've worked for where they're like, okay, 10 years ago, we tried XYZ and it didn't work. And so we're never going to try it again. Mm-hmm. That is not a growth attitude. Yeah. One thing I have heard is there's not a precedent for it. So we can't do it. And yeah. this is a a dangerous statement that leads to stagnation just because it's not been done here. Like, and what was crazy is that statement was said about a design pattern that has been around since the nineties. Yeah. It's just, they haven't used it there or no one's called it that. Yeah, because that's the real deal. They didn't come out in the 90s either. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's like things evolve into that direction, you know. Yeah. And like, I hey, you know what? I was really good. I held my tongue. I did not point out how just absolutely ridiculously stupid that statement was. To which, you know, um, 
a manager told me he was very proud of me for not doing saying anything at that point in the meeting, but you know, that happens. <laughs> he could probably see the veins bulging though. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, people, even beneficial change will get opposed by some people. People find comfort in the known and they fear what they don't know. Yeah. Um, and remember from the first rule, fear makes people do and think stupid things. Yeah. Uh, it, it really does. And that, that includes all of us. So the next rule, rule number eight, uh, and this is in one of the languages from the book, it's Talga Vasternich. You know, that's Haida Heron from the book. Uh, it translates to deserve victory. Uh, be committed and justified in your convictions. Take responsibility for what you want and need, and then do not wait on others to give you that. Mm-hmm. If you give a half-hearted effort, you'll get a half-hearted result. Yeah, at best. Yeah, and if, like, as in the books, your life is on the line, like, I think the 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 thing going on here was people were were fighting, but they didn't think they deserved to live. They, like, had this, like, negative self-opinion. Yep. And... Like that's where this came into play is like if you have that negative self opinion, other people are going to pick up on it. Yeah, and rightly so. And you're not going to put forth the effort that you really need to put forth. Most things are harder than you think they are. Mm-hmm. No, you got to trust yourself when you start making decisions. Uh, there's really not room for self doubt. For years, I thought about writing a book. Right? I mean, good grief! Back when we were in college. Yeah, I remember right? you talking about it. And that happened for me last year. Well, the reason it happened is I got confident enough to go do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like execution is a huge part of it. And the thing that drives execution is actually trusting yourself to make the right decisions or to be able to adjust if you make the wrong ones. Yeah. Now, you can still be humble and polite while trusting your decisions. Seeking advice when making a decision is not a sign that you don't trust yourself. It is saying, Hey, I am getting extra input on this. And then once you make that decision, you follow through with it. Yeah. Cause it's really trusting yourself to gather the information you need correctly and not Mm -hmm. go the wrong way with it. That's what getting advice is. Right. Um, Stand behind your code and the designs and patterns that you choose when creating it. Yeah, business people and managers may not, in fact, they almost never understand the ramifications of hastily written code. They don't know why it's bad. It's just like people that don't read contracts before they sign them. They don't realize what, you know, how expensive that rush actually is. Mm-hmm. This doesn't mean they're stupid. Like They know the business side of what you're doing. Most likely, they know it better than you. And yeah. They understand the ramifications there. They understand the contracts there. Right. But they don't know the technology side. Right. And if you're a technologist getting into business, guess what rule applies to you? Yeah. Because uh, it goes the other way. Um, mm-hmm. Your job is to be there as a professional in the field of development. Um, your role should be to present a confident demeanor about what you can get done. Mm-hmm. You don't justify your decisions to management if they're good decisions. Yeah. Um, I worked with a guy that would do this all the time. He would bounce ideas off of non-technical managers about how he was doing stuff, mainly because he wanted to seem smart. And it led them to believe that he was not a good developer. And it it just didn't work out well for him. I mean, it'd be like your doctor coming up to you and going, well, do you think I should do this? It's like, dude, you went to med school. I'm a plumber. Why are you asking me? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, there's there's a difference between, and I've I've had these conversations with, you know, in the development field and with doctors, where it's like, all right, here are the options. You as the patient choose based on the options. Here's my recommendation. Right. That is being a professional. That is coming in and saying, all right, I'm in some planning meetings recently, and I have said that I was like, all right, here's here's the options. Here's what I would prefer to do because of these reasons. You know, this makes it scalable. This makes it easy to maintain. You know, it's 
it may be a little bit more work up front, but it's going to be a whole lot less work overall. That's going to end up costing a lot less in the long run. Here's the other options based on, okay, well, we've got deadlines. We've got certain times, regulations, those types of things. But here are your options for you to choose what what you want to do. That is also a professional way of presenting it. Right. No. Now, the ninth wizard's rule is a contradiction cannot exist in reality. Not in part, nor in whole. It sounds extreme, but a partial truth is a lie. Yeah, or at least it breeds them. Yeah. Um, that's why in court you're told to, you know, you're told to swear that you'll tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Yeah. Belief in a contradiction opens you up to random impulses. You know, you release your belief in the existence of the world around you and of how it works. Uh, instead, you create for yourself a fantasy world that doesn't quite match up with reality. Yeah, and it's interesting that this comes out of a fantasy novel. Just, you know, as an aside, it can really come as a hard shock when your fantasy clashes with the real world, right? I've known plenty of people who were maybe slightly above average intelligence, but they thought they were extremely smart and they tried to get in there and mix it up with the people that actually were and just got creamed, right? Like that's an ugly, ugly thing to find out, Mm -hmm. especially that way. Whereas if they had gone into a situation where, you know, they're around average people, they could have been at the top. Yeah. Or if they had gone into that situation with a bit more humility. Yeah. And recognized, hey, this person, like, we had a friend in college who was like, you and I are both above average intelligence. We had a friend who made us look, you know. Dumber than a basket of hair. Yes. Um, Just like, (laughs) and, you know, you just... You don't even pretend like you have the most intellectual conversations with him and they're just boring to him. Yeah. Cause it's just on yeah. a you know a different level. And that's a hard thing, right? Like it's it's very self-centered to think that you're the center of the world and you're the best and all this other stuff. But yeah, you know, the thing is you're gonna get out there and you're gonna run into people that are better than you. And mm-hmm. you're gonna have to be okay with that. Yeah. Um and if you don't and you do decide to believe in the contradiction and go, I'm the smartest person out there, but you know, all this evidence points the other way. What you effectively are doing is you're abandoning reality and you're abandoning your rationality along with it. No. You imagine that something is real just because you want it to be so. Sound familiar? Kind of like that first rule there? Yeah. These relate to each other, by the way, if you hadn't been able to tell. At that point, you open yourself up to any whim or desire that crosses your path. It's one of those things, once once you go over the edge once, it's so much easier to go over the edge again. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is that it gives you optionality that no longer includes the restraint of reality. Yeah. And so you go, well, which one, you know, which thing is the less painful option? And it's probably the least realistic option. Mm-hmm. Another thing this does is it allows an inroad to those who would manipulate you based on your irrational desires and passions. Yeah. So let's talk startups on that <laughs> one, right? Like I'm going to give you 10% stock in my company and um, we'll go with the uh, social network for orangutans because that's always a favorite. You know, zoos all over the world are gonna gonna buy this, and people are gonna want to get on our network and talk to orangutans because, you know, certainly Facebook has made them tire of other primates, and we're gonna make billions, billions. If you go in there and you believe that, even with the obvious reality in your face that hey, that's probably not gonna be a thing, you probably can't even make the next Facebook. You're going to lie to yourself, and you're going to throw resources, time, money, attention, you know you know, pain and suffering, all this other stuff at it, and you're going to get nothing Mm -hmm. because you did not respect reality. No. No, a contradiction is different from something that is counterintuitive. Uh, A contradiction is a collection of statements or ideas that oppose one another. We've kind of been talking about that for a while. Uh, Counterintuitive means contrary to intuition or expectation. Right. So it's the difference between 
you know, like counterintuitive basically is the way the steering wheel works when you're in reverse. Yeah. You know, it's like, it doesn't make immediate sense, but you can go, oh, after a minute, you're like, oh, this is the way this works. And you mm-hmm. get used to it and you go on. Uh, contradiction is more like, hey, this car doesn't have an engine, but it still drives. That's a yeah. different thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it goes downhill pretty quickly. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, um, so a, a contradiction may be an expectation that doesn't match with the evidence in reality. So like you, you can have a contradiction in a, like as part of being counterintuitive, but not the other way around. Right. Yeah. So the 10th rule is willfully turning aside from the truth is treason to oneself. Yeah. You should be motivated by the truth. If you lie to yourself and you believe it, then you're breaking the first rule as well. And this is a really easy thing to do, right? Like I'm in good shape. You know, I worked with a guy that was frankly bordering on morbidly obese. And he described himself as athletic with a few extra pounds. You know, consistently, right? And he ignored those health problems. And, you know, it got to the point where he was getting hurt all the time because he was still trying to do things like he was in his 20s and at a reasonable, uh, you know, body mass index and still strong. And it hurt him like constantly. This leads to a betrayal of all that you believe. You're, you're going to get to a point where the pain is going to be so bad that you have to admit the lie. And then you got to, you got to undo all the damage that it did if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and ignoring the truth in lieu of what you want to be is turning your back on reality. Mm-hmm. Reality doesn't like to be ignored. It will force itself back into your life at the least convenient time. Yeah. You know, we, we've talked about the economic thing, right? And everybody's like, oh, we're going to have, you know, the housing market's going to keep going up. Everything's going to keep going up. And it's like, it can't keep going up forever. There is going to be a downturn. Mm-hmm. Just fact, right? Like it's cannot, you know, things that mathematically can't continue have a habit of not continuing. It's, you can get caught up in stuff that you want to be true that, you know, to a degree that you don't see yourself turning from reality. Like I remember um, we had somebody that was cleaning our house the year my daughter was born and she was telling us you should get into flipping houses, right? This was 2008. This was the spring. And, you know, that entire conversation was very, very clear that she was not grabbing reality. She was grabbing what she wanted reality to be because she was in dire financial straits at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did not take that advice. And I turned out okay. She didn't. Yeah. It really, really gets you bad. It's really helpful to have friends and family who actually live in reality that will call you out when you're turning from the truth. Yeah. Whatever that happens to be. The the thing about this is when that happens, it may be that you don't realize it at first, but it can become willful soon because you're like, oh, I like this idea. I think I'll just like convince myself that this is reality over here. And you have people in your life who can go, no, hey, that's like Will and I do this for each other all the time. Um, we have other friends too that, that do that. We're just like, Hey, you're kind of, you're not being real here. Um, sometimes we'll send each other very long messages on hangouts, just like venting and ranting about something. And the other person will go, you realize you're in the wrong there, right? Yeah. (laughs) You realize you could have not had this problem. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, yes, it hurts when you drop the hammer on your foot. Try not to lose your grip on a hammer when it's directly above your foot. Yeah. And speaking of dropping hammers on your foot, uh, this is why developers are bad at estimations. This is probably the one that bites us the worst. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to determine what the truth is when it comes to estimating, especially when variables are unknown and, you know, lots of stuff like that. We often want to say something's easy and quick. It's very easy to ignore a big issue or to be optimistic about how long something will take. 
It's like, oh, I'll really enjoy working on this problem. I think it'll only take a couple hours. It t- you know, two days later, where is that? Yeah. Now, Agile has ways to get the estimates close to reality. But even then, that's based on trial and error, where you look at, all right, how much do we get done in this iteration? Well, we'll base our next one on that and then start to kind of average those together to find out what, you know, and, and learn from that. The other thing about Agile that, that it really does well is it, it abstracts that fact so that you're not having to deal directly with hours yeah. um, because then you're always going to be wrong. Yeah, that's true. Another place this rule applies is when developers don't test their code. You know, you design and built it to work in a certain way. Instead of checking that your understanding matches reality, you make assumptions that it will work as expected. And it can even happen to tested code if only the happy path is tested. This is something that Will and I harp on a lot through just all sorts of episodes we've talked about this. Yeah, you really have to test every path because otherwise you're not actually examining reality. I had to add instrumentation to code today and I broke stuff. Well, I didn't exactly break stuff. I fixed a bug while I was in there and it turned out that that bug was protecting a much worse bug from happening. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like it, it gets all of us. Like I've been doing this for over 20 years. It still happens. So the final rule that we're going to talk about rule 11, this is the, the last one from the sort of truth series. Uh, is the unspoken rule. It's not explicitly stated in the books, um, but from the the last books, you can figure out what it's saying. It's basically, you have to find the truth for yourself. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of interpretations to that rule. Some part of it is that it's a counter to other rules about there being a, an objective truth. And the idea is not really necessarily finding your individual truth, but finding the truth yourself. Like there's, there's a huge difference between understanding something because you were told it in school versus understanding it because you derived it. Yeah. You can't rely on others to tell you what objective reality is. It's up to you to go out and discern that for yourself. That being said, one thing that we've talked about throughout these rules is reason, because reason is your main tool in that quest for the truth. Yeah. And this also means that you're the one in charge of your own growth and learning. You can't rely on your employer or even teachers to learn for you, right? Like you're, you're going to have to actually do the work yourself. They may provide tools that help you and they make it easier, but that doesn't mean that they will get you there. They can't. You know, honestly, I, th- I think especially in, in software development, this is something I've mused on a lot, is that software development can be learned, but I'm not sure it can be taught. Mm-hmm. Because like, you know, like the teacher just has to get you, uh, it has to help you when you get stuck and maybe explain concepts and stuff, but like you're never going to get it if you don't do it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because it was, I remember trying to figure out Lambda expressions and link queries were the two that I got really stuck on. And no matter what you said, that just did not make sense to me. And finally, I think you were getting frustrated. You're like, look, just do this and know that this input gives this output. And you keep doing it and you like various versions of it or minor variations and then it'll click. And one day it just clicked and I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, and that's a really good example of that. That's why you have to go after things yourself. Besides the fact that it's your responsibility, like it literally cannot work any other way for most things. Most things, you know, your internal representation of the truth is different than somebody else's internal representation of the same truth. Mm -hmm. And they can't communicate the full thing to you. Now, by following the other rules, you will find your way to this realization. Uh, The other rules are designed to lead a person to the understanding that they have to find the truth for themselves. So much so that this rule goes unstated except through interpretation in the series. Now, 
There are several other rules that were not in the main series of books. We're not going to go through those, uh, partly for time, partly because the main focus was on the original 11 rules. These rules are based on a series of fantasy novels, so take them for what they are. One way to go about living and an interesting April 1st episode topic to get you thinking differently. Go out and find them, read through them, write them down, and try applying these to your life. Take a scientific approach and see if applying these rules makes a difference in your life. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I just want to highlight something that I guess is probably going to strike people as strange if they listen this far. A lot of folks would look at it and go, you're taking a series of fantasy novels and trying to make a understanding of life out of this. And I think that's maybe an incorrect perspective because what you're really doing is you're using that as an input to basically vary what's what you are taking in. It's not necessarily, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to base my life off of Harry Potter. It's more like, hey, I can learn the truth darn near anywhere. There are a lot of very, very true things that I learned from an old man who was constantly spitting tobacco and cussing and things that I use in my job as a software developer, as far as like headspace and those kind of things that I learned from that guy who probably had never used a computer in his life. You can get the truth and you can get knowledge and personal growth from some of the most astounding places that you would never look for it. And you can miss the truth in the places that you do. So mm-hmm. I just want to add here that you really need to make sure that you are open to learning things, even if the source is unconventional, because you know maybe that's there for a reason. Maybe it's just, hey, you're being open to opportunity. And just to be comfortable with that, be comfortable with learnings coming from places maybe that aren't traditional. So that's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to completedevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.